Good morning, church. What a joy it is to be with you this morning again. What a joy it is to be invited back and trusted to speak the word of God from this place. I uh, so appreciate Pastor Matthew and his ministry here and uh, just feel blessed to be able to stand in for him as he's on vacation. Uh, blessings on your vacation, Pastor Matthew. Um, last week we were introduced to the Psalms by the Bible Project and by Pastor Matthew unwrapping Psalm 34, verse 8. And uh, before we take a look at Psalm 2 this morning, I want to share with you a statement from Timothy Keller about the Psalms. This comes from his little devotional book called uh, The Songs of Jesus, and this is part of his introduction. It's a little bit long, but please stay with me. The Psalms are more than just an instrument for theological instruction. One of the ancient church fathers, Athanasius, wrote, Whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. Every situation in life is presented in the book of Psalms. Psalms anticipate and train you for, the very, for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show you what your attitude should be, how to talk to God about it. Yes. Yeah, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you know exactly what's happening in that aisle. We just know that you know the person. We know that you know all that their need involves. We pray that you would bring the medical help that they need and that you would give grace. We are thankful that you are not uh, caught by surprise in this situation. You are not, it is not a mystery to you, but we can trust you to know what is needed. And we commit it to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We'll let them take care of that. I'll go back to Timothy Keller's statement about the Psalms. Psalms anticipate and train you for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition they show you what the dangers are, what you, what you should keep in mind, what your attitude should be, how to talk to God about it, and how to get help, get, how to get from God the help you need. They put their undeviating understanding of the greatness of the Lord alongside their situations so that we may have a due sense of the correct proportion of things. Every feature and circumstance of life is transmitted into the Lord's presence and put in the context of what is true about him. Psalms, then, are not just a matchless primer of teaching, but a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. I love that. I love that. A medicine chest for the heart. <laughs> I find that so often in the Psalms. So we're having a summer in the Psalms. 
and I get to preach from Psalm 2. Uh, it's the first one. Did Psalm 1 last year. So Psalm 2. Um, just a few things about Psalm 2 that you need to just be aware of. These are just some little things for your uh, trivia game. And uh, no, not really. <laughs> Psalm 2 was written by David. Even though it doesn't say so in the heading, it was written by David according to Acts 4, verse 25. This, this psalm is quoted frequently in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. And so we know that it is an important uh, spiritual truth for us, even now, not just in the Old Testament times, but for now because the New Testament drew from it. Commentaries make this psalm about David or the Messiah or both. I choose to see it as a psalm from David about the one who was anointed to be his follower and who would be the king in his family line. I do that because that's the way the New Testament sees this psalm. Speaking about Jesus, speaking about the Messiah who would come. Psalms 1 and 2, we saw this in the Bible Project video we saw last week, if you were here. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 form an introduction to the Psalms. They kind of go together. They are both wisdom Psalms and simply make the statement, wise or stupid, you choose. Now, I know I'm not supposed to use that word stupid. If my grandson were here, he'd make me put money in his, in his bad word jar. Um, I think that's probably gone by the way because he uses a lot of them these days. <laughs> that's a sermon title. How about that, huh? Wise or stupid, you choose. I couldn't find any other word to put in the place of stup stupid that carried the weight of that. It really is saying to not consider this and not take action on it in your life is stupid. And you have a choice. Now, I said we looked at Psalm 1 last year. It's been a long time, I know, but the first Psalm says, choose where you gather your information about life. Choose where you gather your life view. Either you will gather it from the people who are standing around on the street corner, the people spouting life views from the TV, the people writing books, or you will gather it from the Word of God. The first will leave you empty of life, like chaff blowing around in the wind. The second will fill you with real life and give you fruit like the tree planted by the water. That's Psalm 1. Wise or stupid, choose. <laughs> Which will you be? Which will you choose to gather your life view from? I'm losing my... Because of my glasses, it won't stay where it belongs. Um... So we're going to look at Psalm 2 because it kind of asks the same question. Wise or stupid, choose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we really don't like the idea of being stupid. 
We are a lot, but we are thankful that you point out how we cannot make that decision or how we can make a decision to be wise instead of stupid. And so as this psalm points us to a different area of life, we ask that you would teach us. Use my feeble words to communicate your truth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 2 is like a a play in four acts. I I should say it's a song in four verses, which it is, but verses in songs don't have names. So I'm doing the acts. (laughs) The four acts with names. And the first act, verses 1 through 3, is entitled, The Big Why. The Big Why. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why do the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one? Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The big why. Why? Why? You ever do that to your kids? (laughs) Why? Why would you choose that? (laughs) Why would you do that? Why is this uh, going on in your life? Why? I don't understand. And that's what the psalmist is writing in this first act. Why? Why is it that you're making this choice? And what is the choice? Well, it's clear here. The nations are raging and the peoples plotting in vain against the Lord and his anointed one. Now, Acts chapter 4, verses 25 to 28, quote this in tune with the, the, the crucifixion. This is how it sees that. This is where the nations, the Romans and the Israelites are coming against the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus. So Acts interprets it for us and says, this is what this is about. Now David, looking ahead, prophetically says, why why is there going to be a time when people rudely and angrily reject the Messiah. Why is that? And the real issue he points to, verse 3, let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. Here's the real issue. Here's the real issue. The authority of God. And the authority of his Messiah, Jesus. Nope. I'll do it my way. Nope. I am the master of my own fate. A captain of my own ship. Don't you tell me that there's somebody else that can tell me how it ought to go. Don't tell me that. 
That's unacceptable. That sound familiar in our world? <laughs> no. I refuse to listen to God. I refuse to listen to the Messiah, Jesus. I refuse. I will not have that authority over my life. I think there's a bigger issue in our culture, and that's not the rejection of the authority of Jesus. It's nihilism. <laughs> Simply says, nothing matters. It's a big yawn. It's a big, so what? So what about this Jesus? So what about all this religious? So, so what? I'm making my own purpose in life. I'm creating my own direction. And if you don't like it, well, I better not say that. <laughs> it's, it's me. That's all that it is. It's me. Nihilism said nothing matters. It's all empty. There's nothing going on in this world that is that important. And if we all die, so what? So what? So when it comes to Jesus and his claims on people's lives, so when it comes to God and his authority through Jesus, it's like, it's not an angry rejection, it's like a big yawn. And I think that's probably the greater issue in our culture than the rejection of Jesus and his authority. And I don't know about you, I don't know about your friends, but in one or the two of those, you'll find somebody that fits that. And maybe you. Maybe you're even a follower of Jesus, but you go, well, I know that Jesus said that. I know that the Bible says that, but <laughs> that word but <laughs> doesn't belong there. <laughs> it doesn't belong there. If Jesus is the Messiah, if God is the authority, if he is the king over everything, then but doesn't fit. I'll try to get wrapped up here. Um, I don't like somebody else's authority. And the psalmist goes, why are you like that? Why are you choosing that for your life? Why are you choosing it? And he'll get around to saying why that's a stupid choice. He'll make it very clear why that choice is not smart. Is that a little less confrontive than stupid? <laughs> so we come to the second act of this story. And it's verses 4 through 6. <laughs> the psalmist goes... You know what about your rejection of God? You know what about your sticking out your tongue toward Jesus? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Ooh. Oh, 
God does not just ignore it. God does not just ignore our rejection of the authority of Jesus, his son. The Lord, the one throned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. God is laughing not at their not at the consequences that come with their choice. He's laughing at their arrogance. He's laughing at their arrogance. (laughs) Back to the why. Why would you choose that? Don't you know that God is God over everything and Jesus is his anointed one and when you say no thanks, He says, what's wrong with you? That decision doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's not laughter of derision. It's, It's really a sad laugh. It's really a sad laugh because Jesus or God the Father understands what it means to reject his Son. It says the Lord laughs. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. It's not a laughing matter. It's not a laughing matter. God the Father speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Why? Because I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Zion is, a, is another name for Israel. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. My holy hill, another name for Jerusalem, another name for where, the, for where the temple was placed. God says, where my name is in Jerusalem, I have installed my king there. That's why... It's not a laugh of derision. It's not a laugh of ridicule. It's a laugh of sorrow. Because he says, you you don't get it. I am the sovereign God of the universe and I have installed my king. Jesus came into Jerusalem. He rode into Jerusalem on a Donkey, (laughs) not a white horse like a conquering king. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and he came in with all meekness but all authority. He went to the temple and he drove out the money changers, those who were laughing at God, those who were rejecting God's authority. He drove them out of the temple because God said, This is the one that I have installed 
on my holy mountain. Well, you think the news is bad that far. Go to the next act in this psalm. <laughs> the Lord's decree. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16, when David was anointed to be the king of Israel, we read, So now, speaking to Nathan, the prophet, So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies said. I took you from the pasture, from tending flock, to be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I re removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Now when David was anointed, take off my glasses it would stay there but if I took off my glasses I couldn't read oh the troubles of men <laughs> I will declare the Lord's decree given back when David was called and pointing to his son Solomon and said you are my son Today I have begin, become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Now in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, this connects this part of this psalm to Christ's resurrection to Christ's resurrection. Acts 13.33 says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, just as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. So in the New Testament, it says, this is how we ought to interpret that. <laughs> this is how we ought to see that. It says, you are my son, and I will give you all authority. And that's what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead. God said, 
<laughs> you are my son, I am your father, and I make your kingdom last forever. And it came about when Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, when the New Testament says Jesus was dead and buried in the tomb, and on the third day he arose from the dead, the New Testament says that's exactly when the kingdom of Christ was established. There is no dead Jesus. There is a living king in this kingdom. And God had declared it way back when, when he called David to be a king. And he said there's one more coming whose kingdom will never end. And he will be the authority over everything. And so the psalmist writing this says, this is serious business. This is serious business, what you do with Jesus. Because God made him the king. God made him the king. When I was in the Navy, I was in charge of the hydraulics shop on a ship. And uh, one day, we were not getting the supplies that we needed, and we were not getting the help that we needed and we you know it was just like things were not going the way they were supposed to be going so I walked right up to the engineering officers uh, office and I knocked on the door he said come in and I came in and I started in on him I started laying down the situation Here's the situation. We're supposed to fix this and we don't have the supplies. Here's the situation and, we, you know, we got to deal with this, but we don't have any of the instructional manuals for that. You know, if at first you don't succeed, read about it in the instruction manual, you know. Um, we, don't, we don't have any of that stuff. What's going on here? We can't do our work because you're not doing yours. I'm not usually quite that forthright, but... I was then because I was pretty ticked. And he kind of looked up from his desk and I realized that I had made a mistake. <laughs> because this was not the engineering officer from the, from the ship. This was the whole group's engineering officer for the whole six ships and I tried to get as small as I could <laughs> because the whole thing became clear I wasn't aware who I was talking to I wasn't aware who I was talking to and that's what this third act is about do you really understand who you're talking to? You're talking to God. You're talking to the master of the universe. And he is the one who made the declaration through David that this was his son and that he was going to be in possession of the throne and he would break all rebellion with an iron rod. 
serious business. So we come again to the question, wise or stupid? What do you choose? What do you choose? This, is, this has been kind of a downer to this point, right? Serious stuff. This is, whoa. This business about Jesus and who he is and what God made him and who God said he was and what I'm supposed to do about that and what happens if I don't. Whew. <laughs> is there no good news? Yeah. Act four. <laughs> Act four. A big title. Good news. Now, when we read it, you won't see it right away. You'll go, where's the good news? But it's here. It's here. So now, kings, be wise. Here's the choice. Here's the choice. So now, kings, it's a gathering call. <laughs> He's gathering them all before him, and he says, Kings, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? I I'm telling you, you have an opportunity to be wise here. Restre receive instruction, you judges of the earth. <laughs> In other words, I'm going to tell you what it's like here, okay? I'm going to tell you what it's about. I'm going to tell you how it works. I've been telling you, and I'm going to finally just lay it out here. Now get this instruction, kings. Kings don't usually like instruction. There was a king of, Is of Israel, no, a king of England, who once, de once decided that his... Um, man, <laughs> the guy who took care of him, the guy who told him where to be and all of those kind of things. He decided he didn't like to be told where he ought to be. He, didn't decide, he decided he didn't like to be told anything about how he ought to you know, do his business, and so he kicked the guy out and fired him. Well, that created an incredible uh, hubbub in the palace. And one of the other people who were helping the king said, what will the king do now? <laughs> what will the king do now? <laughs> There's nobody around to tell him where to stand and what, where to go and where to be for this appointment or any of those kind of things. What will the king do now? And that's kind of like what God is saying to them. <laughs> Receive some instruction here. I know that you've said you don't want any. I know that you've said you don't want any authority over you. I know that you've said that, but listen. <laughs> it's time to ask the question, are, are you going to be wise? Are you going to receive instruction? <sighs> I know what my attitude was in high school. I barely passed, by the way, because I didn't want to be told how to do stuff and when to turn it in 
I know that shocks a lot of you, but <laughs> I, I just, I didn't want to be told. And so I turned papers in late, sometimes weeks late. I didn't attend classes about a third of the time. I, I was generally a bad student because my attitude was, you can't tell me anything. Now, between that time and after I got out of the Navy, things changed greatly. I found out I didn't know anything. I needed some instruction. <laughs> some of the, the drill officers in the Navy made sure I got some. <laughs> but sometimes I didn't receive it very well. And so, God is saying to these people, receive instructions. And here's the instructions. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or He will be angry. Some of your translations might say, kiss the Son. And He will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion, for His anger may ignite at any moment. That doesn't sound like good news. <laughs> That doesn't sound like grace. That doesn't sound like uh, instruction that's going to be helpful if I'm struggling with authority. You see, what the psalmist says is God's patient is not, patience is not placid. God's anger is not out of control. God's laughter is not cruelty. God's pity is not sentimentality. It is simply an offer of a choice. It is simply an offer of a choice to pay homage to the Son. I love this little devotion that was written by Dale Ralph Davis he wrote uh, three little devotions on the first 50 psalms. And uh, this one is for Psalm 1 through 12. And uh, it says, the way of the righteous in the muck of life. <laughs> I kind of like that, right? He was uh, the president of um, the Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, the uh, professor of Old Testament. And... Uh, I love the way, the story that he tells. I supposedly marked it, but, oh, there we go. Dick McClellan tells of a witch doctor named Onisa and a slave called Gebre, who arrived at his mission's home wanting to know if he, McClellan, was Jesus. He'd made an impression, right? They had heard a garbled mix of rumor and error and arrived with their questions at a time when terrific storms had done much damage to homes in that area of Ethiopia. But a native evangelist arrived at McClellan's place 
And so missionary and evangelist spent two days and most of three nights making clear the gospel story and the truth about Jesus to these two seekers. Onisa and Gebre both believed and came to faith in Christ. To acknowledge and confess that, that faith, they stood before a small group of believers. Then they held their right hands high and renounced Satan, blood sacrifices, evil practices, and all their sin. Then, McClellan reports, they raised both hands high and said, having renounced Satan and believing in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died for me, I take him as my Savior with two hands, and I will never deny him. To give both hands was a sign of complete surrender. It's the same as to kiss the Son, and that is Yahweh's kingdom word to you today. Kiss the Son. Take his Messiah King with two hands. With two hands. You see in that last line is the grace. All who take refuge in him are happy. Danger versus delight. <laughs> Danger versus delight. Danger versus delight. Wise versus stupidity. You choose. But God has said, it's not about how you do it. It's not about what you do. It's simply about embracing Jesus with both hands. You know, that may be a word to all of us this morning. Because even if we have had a time in our lives when we've said yes to Jesus, even if we've had a time in our lives when we've said, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior, I want to recognize His authority, and I want to give my life to Him, and I want to receive His salvation, and you've done that, but over the years or over the weeks or whatever it's been, the months, you've kind of let go. You've kind of stopped holding on so tightly. You've stopped embracing Jesus. And now your life is full of a lot of stuff that's not necessarily bad, but it just has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> I know we're busy. And you know what that word busy stands for, don't you? Being under Satan's yoke. Yeah, we, we go along in life and we say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm with Jesus, I've embraced Jesus, I honor Jesus, but, you know, as, as long as it's not too inconvenient. As long as it doesn't take too much of my time. As long as it's not too much in my life that he wants to mess with. And it may be today that you're a follower of Jesus, but you need to, in a new way, say, I embrace you, Jesus. I embrace you. With both hands, I grab you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've thought, you know, I never considered this whole thing of Jesus being God's 
authority. As a matter of fact, when I think about it, I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I like having authority over my life. I'm not sure I... Or maybe you're just along with the culture that says, so what? So what? It's no big deal, you know? Jesus, Jesus, you know? And you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's been saying to you, God is giving you a choice. He's calling you to a choice. He's gathered us here this morning and said, you know, receive instruction. Make a choice. And will your choice be wise? Or will it be stupid? Like I said, I hate to use that word, but it carries a lot of weight. It says what needs to be said from this psalm. Wise or stupid, you choose. Danger or delight, you choose. Choose Jesus. Worship team, will you come up, please? As they're coming up, I want to share this verse from John 3. You'll think it's familiar. You've heard it a hundred times before, maybe. John 3, 16 through 18. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. You choose.